0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Book Club. First rule of Book Club is you must always talk about Book Club. Second rule of Book Club is tell everyone about Book Club.
1: How's it going, Michael? All good, thank you. sat in my bunker, but I'm going to be let out soon, I think. It's looking good, isn't it? Yeah, isn't it? Positive vibes. Positive vibes, I think, are about concerts, sporting venues. You and I can get together and do book club face to face. No, I like it like this. Do you prefer it this way? Oh, it's better, yeah. So, come on, Johnny, what book are we on? It's been that long since
0: we did a book club. I've almost forgotten.
1: Oh, Pricey. So we're on the second part of Pitch Anything by Oren Claff.
0: What do you make of it so far?
1: I quite enjoyed the first part and I quite enjoyed what we talked about in the first show. And I'm, I'm really pleased that we've gone back into the cycle of reading the books in bits and then recording the shows in bits, in as much as there's something just better about reading a book in bits and then discussing it on a weekly basis rather than recording four shows because it's expedient and then stocking them up for this. Okay, good. But this part of it, I I was quite excited and I was sort of into it and I really liked some of the stuff. And, uh, you know, some of it was a little bit statement of the bleeding obvious about being a beater in the meeting when the customer puts his feet on the table. You know, they're mugging you off, aren't they? and having the courage to...
0: Do we talk about that now or not? Because like, you know that I actually don't agree with that.
1: We kind of covered quite a lot of that in the first meeting. Very And in the first session. But then in the next bit that I've read, there's some good bits and there's some bad bits. What chapter are you up to? So I'm not on chapters, I'm on Kindle locations, which is where basically I get a little digest of all the bits I've highlighted. Okay. He starts talking about situational status in a meeting, and I thought that was a really interesting when he talks about how, it's interesting, our golf club, our golf pro is about 25. You know, he's a lovely young lad, but guys turn up in their Aston Martins crawling on their hands and knees, begging them to fix their slice. He has situational power, doesn't he?
0: He has situational power.
1: He's a humble golf pro on 40 quid an hour, a fine young lad and a lovely young man that, that I have a lot of time for. But actually, if you looked at... The balance of power in those conversations, literally, guys, get out of their Aston Martins. They walk up there and they just say, listen, mate, whatever it takes, just get rid of my slice. He has total power. They will do anything. If he says, lick your clubs five times, do a twirl and stand on your head, they'll go, really? Will that fix it? He has total situational power in that situation. And I think that's a really interesting concept about... Establishing that situational or what he calls local star power in the meeting, so he says. For example, yes, well, I'm on that page, but don't, but don't you think the local star power
0: is just credibility,
1: insight, credibility? Yes, I think it is.
0: Because I like your analogy of the golf pro. You know, the fella that built my brick wall, whatever he got paid, you know, it wasn't as much as an IT salesperson. He's very credible in laying bricks, much so, much more so than I.
1: On the bricks, he has local star power, doesn't he? You
0: yeah, listen to it. You listen to exactly what he says. Get rid of the expletives because he likes to swear a lot and smoke whilst he's working. Yeah. All good. All fine. But he has got local star power. Yep. Um, and Aaron's sort of saying that in this book, really, isn't he?
1: Yes. And what he's saying is in a good pitch or a good sales presentation, the good guys create that. They find a way of creating, so he gives the example, there's two examples he gives, one is the local golf bro, the other is the French waiter in the restaurant.
0: Yeah, the French waiter was a good story.
1: Yeah, you know, he's, he's, on, he's on tuppence now minimum wage, but actually, he's in control, isn't he?
0: Well, the story goes, what wine would you like, sir? Uh, and he goes, oh, I'll have this one. And the waiter goes, well, how would you know what wine you want if you haven't ordered your food yet? <laughs> yeah, 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 and he scoffs. And he takes complete. He walks him into a trap and takes control. Now you know what I do, Johnny. If a French waiter said that to me. I
1: just walk out. You would say I'm going for a Maccas.
0: Yeah, send this now off, mate. I'm not into it. I just
1: asked you. What, I just asked you what wine I'm having. Yeah,
0: and now you're looking down your nose at me.
1: Yeah, I know. You'd be like, let's go for a macus, Come on.
0: But you, you wonder how that translates into, you know, the people listening to this book. How does that translate into and help them? Because they've got to have that local star power.
1: It's different, isn't it? Because so many of the buyers are so educated. And more specifically, often it's quite a technical sale. So you could end up with a right pissing contest going on if we start playing the local star power game.
0: But does Arant say the local star powering thing is important, though? Because I think he
1: does. I think he says you've got to create some local star power, doesn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. But I think in our world, I wonder if it's as easy to create that when... In most technology sales environments, there's not many environments, I would imagine, where the sale is that of a sale from somebody with local star power to somebody who actually doesn't have that situational power. Actually, the buyers are as clued up as the sellers, if not often more.
0: And, and plenty of the sellers are still selling software. You know, I've placed the guy who started today, actually, Oh, you know him, a guy called Martin. Yep. I don't think he's that bothered for local star power, Martin. But I think he knows how to run a good sales campaign. And at some point, he's going to say to me, right, do you want to buy the software or not?
1: Yes. Well, he talks about that later on in the book. And he, he denigrates, quote, unquote, selling. And I think we have to put this book in context. The book is called Pitch Anything. It's not called Sell Anything. Yeah, yeah.
0: I think, so, I think you've been a bit defensive of him there, really. Because I think... Warren Clark views himself as a salesperson who pitches.
1: I don't think he does view himself as a salesman. Do you
0: not? I think he does.
1: Nope. I think he views himself as a guy that can turn up and run a pitch for a pitch. Yeah. I don't think he sees himself as somebody who can run a complex sale. I don't think he views himself, you know, the lad I play golf with at the weekend who, uh, you know, accomplished technology sales pro. He doesn't see himself as that guy. He sees himself as the guy that brings the deal to the table. Big fish. Have you read the last chapter yet? His story? What? The case study that goes on and 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 on?
0: Yeah, that that one. The case study that's about 50 pages long. Yeah, Then wouldn't you have classed that as a sale? I would have said that was a
1: sale. He would class it as a pitch, not a sale. Interesting. But interesting, different take on it. We're both in the same book as well. I I don't, yeah, I just don't think he's, I don't think he sees himself as a salesman. I think he sees salespeople as weak and needy. He seems to himself as a pitch artist. Fair enough. So
0: what's next in the book? So next one to pitching your big idea. Uh, I, I thought this bit was fairly interesting, actually, because the whole book, I, I think the book is, should teach you how to pitch something. I, I was expecting more on PowerPoint and stuff than I actually got about power frames. Yeah, wasn't <laughs> you know, was
1: PowerPoint, not PowerPlay. Yeah, right.
0: I was expecting somebody to go, right, this is how long your presentation should last. This is what you should have in it. This is what you shouldn't have in it. This is what you should do. But actually there's not much down the book. But chapter 4 is about pitching your big idea. Yeah. And I uh, underlined and what's most striking about the accomplishment is that the full presentation takes just 5 minutes to read aloud. And he was on about uh, a presentation that had Watson and Crick the Nobel Prize. And he says "Pause and consider this for a moment. The most important scientific discovery of the 20th century can be pitched in 5 minutes." Yeah, nearly every page that I've seen, and I see hundreds every year, take forty-five minutes and usually an hour—a ridiculous amount of time. Now, I don't know about you, Johnny, but you know, in, sometimes in what we do, the candidates in the interview process will have to do a presentation, and they say, "Can I send you my slides?" And I go, "Yeah, yeah, send me your slides if you want." And when I get it and think, "God, there's forty pages," what are you doing? He's unsuccessful.
1: But that's just common sense, isn't it? And what he's a lot of what he's pointing out here in the book is. Common sense, empathy of how humans think. Do you know what I mean? Yes, I do agree with that. To not know that a 40-slide slide slide deck is going to bore somebody to death, that's a lack of common sense and just a a general lack of accomplishment as a salesperson. I think a
0: lot of people out there in the market are doing 40-slide deck presentations, Johnny. I really do. Possibly. I will not know. I reckon they are. Uh, It's an interesting one, isn't it? So then he gets into it, doesn't he? He goes about pitching your big idea, then he says, phase one, introduce yourself and the big idea. Following this formula, the very first thing you need to do, even before you think about explaining your idea, is give people your background. I'm not sure I agree with that, really. Do you think people are really bothered about your background?
1: I think in our world, no, more often than not. I don't think they could care less, really. Particularly some of the people I'm engaging with at the moment, I think they just don't care who I am.
0: Well, I say to a lot of the clients, do you want to know how I generate candidates? They go, no. Do
1: you want to know anything about me? No. No, I want some confidence. Just solved my problem. But it's different because what we don't get involved in, and what's in, I think that's a, a wider discussion point, which is th- it comes back to a theory I've held for a long time, which is people don't buy recruitment services as a high involvement, high pain point, high importance procurement.
0: No, they don't. They try and buy CVs off us. Correct.
1: And so as a result, they claim they don't care about you they don't care about how you generate candidates they don't care about what you do but actually that's more often endemic of the fact that their perception of what the purchase of recruitment services is is very weak so therefore it denigrates the point i.e we don't have to and we don't get involved in complex procurements of recruitment services
0: very true we don't
1: very true People buy recruitment services like they're Mars bars, but other solutions are deemed highly complex. You know, we we don't, and you and I don't ever end up presenting to 15 people on a committee deciding which recruiter they're going to engage with for sales recruitment next year.
0: No, we don't. We definitely don't.
1: Because it's just not deemed important enough to the business, even though actually it's the most important thing they'll buy next year. But if you took a lot of those same companies that we deal with, I bet on other procurements that those organisations make, Often, they're big, complex deal pitches. It would be interesting to have some input, wouldn't it, from the
0: people out there?
1: Yeah, well, obviously, we've no guest this month on the show, so I think it's kind of limited us a little bit in the conversation.
0: Yeah, fair enough. And then he talks about the why. So, So basically, all this framing bit up front, they say, you know, the first three chapters, he's saying now you should put into your pitch. Yeah. And his next frame is the why now frame. Yeah, I saw that. What do you think of it? Not much by the sound
1: of it. <laughs> so that's right. He talks about, here you go, uh, why now frame? It's vitally important that the target knows that your idea is new, emerging from current market opportunities, and that it's not some relic left over from bygone days. I kind of like that, actually. Uh, that's kind of instinctively part of how I tend to pitch IRC with a, a, a semi why now frame, where I give a little bit of a history of how the recruitment industry has progressed and why we are where we are, and why our solution is what it is. I get that, but For me, I felt like a lot of common sense. You set the scene before you give it. And and a lot of good selling is about telling good stories that engage. And that's just part of having a story, isn't it? There's several books where people have talked about selling with stories. And actually that, the why now frame, it's just starting with a good story to set the scene.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, I I, I don't disagree with you. Then he goes on to introducing your big idea this does not take 15 minutes it takes one minute the chat i was thinking about throughout as I was reading this book is one of our clients is an ai vendor who's selling to the retail and manufacturing the cpg market yeah and I place the i placed the guy with them and, and he's got a very simple voice pattern that he, he literally just sort of asks why really a lot and and then and then he closes people you know it's a good good start yeah and the client there they said we recruited bill and within about three weeks, we figured out that we have been doing a big PowerPoint presentation to introduce our company and our solution. Bill just didn't do one at all. He just sat down and he just thinned it down into three or four lines of him talking. And he said, that interaction
1: right.
0: made helped it go so much easier. And in fairness to Aaron Klaff, what he hasn't said, but has said, he said, people talk to you watching presentations. He sort of says just get the point quickly. I do think
1: he's right about that. Yes, I I like the bit later on where he talks about limiting the amount of time available.
0: Yes, he mentions that a lot, doesn't he? He said, well, I've got 20 minutes for a presentation.
1: Yeah, I I really respect that. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you're introducing the big idea. I get that. Great. uh, All really good. Here you go. First, you put the target at ease by telling him in advance that the pitch is going to be short, just about 20 minutes, and that you're not going to be hanging around too long afterwards. Now i have sort of them between this because what I don't like is the whole "Are you okay to talk" thing. No, I'm not a fan of that. Do you know what I mean? It's a and I get it. It's a little power frame. In the same reason why I would never ever let a salesperson that worked for us ask a customer, "You're right, you're all right for time, you're all right to talk." You've just you're dead. You've weakened yourself. And actually, what Oren Claff would say is you've lost your power frame. I do agree with you, although one of my friends. And here's a friend,
0: we did some work with him, a guy called Robin, who you know, you, you obviously know Robin. Yep. One of Robin's pictures, and bear in mind this guy's a multi-gazillionaire, spoke to me the other day, said, what are you up to? And I'm just doing some canvassing, actually, because we haven't got enough leads. Right. So he's fairly sort of down, yeah, you know, he was canvassing. So <laughs> he's fairly down to earth. And I said to him, I said, on, what's, your, what's your pitch? He said,
1: first thing I say is, can you spare me 20 seconds? Now that comes from a man who's a millionaire and sold a company. But that's a different frame, isn't it? Can you spare me 20 seconds? is actually a power frame in itself. That's what Oren Claff would say. It's a challenge. It's a throwdown, yeah? He's not asking for 20 minutes, he's asking for 20 seconds. I, well, that's Robin's point. I feel like you've really bought this whole frame thing. I just haven't. Um, I haven't bought it. I've just seen it in things. I'll tell you what I've, I've liked about it, is it's a validation of a lot of stuff that I'd actually ordinarily quite naturally do. Fair enough. And a couple of other things that I've thought, yeah, he's right. Particularly around some of the power framing stuff where I've thought, for example, I never, ever, ever sit down in a client's reception. You know, all that stuff about being beta blocked in the earlier chapters. I guess I'm, I'm so with that.
0: Yeah, no, I just couldn't care less. I sit down in the reception and, you know, if it, we deal with a lot of alphas, alpha females and alpha males in our job, 100%. I reckon you know, like eighty, ninety percent of the clients are all that. I just, uh, I, that's fine. I just don't care. I just let them have it.
1: Yeah, I, I'm not. It's not about whether I let them have it or not, and it's not about whether I care. It's not. Uh, it's not a personal, situational ego thing. I just won't let clients walk all over me.
0: You know, I think if clients start walking all over me, I go right. You just, we're just not right for each other. I'm off.
1: Yeah, you just call it. But that's the power frame. You've just taken the power away. Orin Claff would say that's exactly the point. Yeah. That's what you're doing. He'd say, oh, right. They're walking all over. And you said, do you know what, guys? I just don't think we're right for each other. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, they do buy it back yeah, a bit. That's, that's absolutely what he's espousing. And that's absolutely what he's espousing in the book, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you know what, guys? All, all a bit much this. I think it's, it's not quite right for us. You're not quite the right kind of client for us. I'm going to get off. That's absolutely what he's saying. And that's exactly what you or I would both do. Yeah, you
0: know when they're like ultra-aggressive with you and they just think, I can't, whatever. You turn
1: up, you've got the train to London. Yeah, I've only got 20 minutes. Right,
0: okay, that's fine. I'm off,
1: I've got somebody else to meet. What? Yeah, I'm going. And that's what he's saying. And you do that naturally, you just go, oh, right. okay, well, I'll tell you what, I'll get off to my next minute. Yeah, yeah. Oh well, actually, I've got a few more minutes. That's the point. Oh, mm, yeah. That's the whole, that's the whole point. Um, I, but yeah, would you give your background? No. One of my complaints is he gets sort of very into pseudo-psychology. Well,
0: you all get their attention where he's talking about the mix of
1: dopamine
0: and norepinephrine.
1: Yeah. So when a person is feeling both desire and tension, that person is paying serious attention to what's in front of him her. Dopamine is the neurotransmitter of desire. nor norepinephrine is the neurotransmitter of t- tension. Together, they add up to attention. But I don't feel like he really references that very well how do you get more dopamine flowing in your brain novelty? And I get that. I think that's very smart. So what he's saying is you create that novelty for the punter in the presentation and it creates dopamine. And then you create tension, which creates stress. And what you're doing is you're creating this push and pull psychologically with the recipient of your pitch. I get that. I think that's a very cunning, very smart play. My objection is, I don't think the people we work with will do that.
0: I completely agree with you. They won't do that. And to be perfectly fair, no, will
1: I? I think some of the really top guys will. Some of the really top guys say, I'll tell you what, I'm going to do that. I'm going to design my presentation around starting with a bit of novelty, then I'm going to take it a little bit of weight from them to create tension. Because a lot of it, Mike, requires a big fat pair of nuts.
0: I, don't think it's that. I think a lot of it just re- requires too big a change to how you've operated. You know, you take, some 43, take a 43 year old guy and say, right, we're going to change it. You've got to think about dopamine in this other one. I just think, well, what I've been doing seems to have worked up until now. Yeah, I'm not going to do that.
1: Well, I earned 140K last year selling my software as a service that the customer could trial for three months before he bought it off me. Why well, do I don't need to worry about dopamine? <laughs> yeah. 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 I've had four job offers. I've had four job offers this week offering me 110K base from my current 85K base. What do I need to start worrying about taking my deal away from customers for? Yeah, exactly. I'm quite happy, to, I'm quite happy turning up with my pretty face and my navy suit or without my tie on, looking cool, being Mr. Cool Hipster with the customers going, yeah, 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 we really want to buy your snowflake software. So I, I think part of the challenge is, A lot of what a lot of people are selling is so easy to sell that they'll never dig this deep into thinking, how am I just going to get a little edge on on the market? But equally, I think there are some guys we deal with who will look at this and go, do you know what? That's a great thing to do. I'm going to do that. I'm going to set my presentation up next time I do a pitch. And I do a final pitch to a client. I'm going to create some novelty at the start. You know, I'm going to create a little story. So like a pull push pattern that he talks about at the start obviously we might not be right for each other you might not be right for us a little bit of tension i always say that anyway
0: with clients yeah absolutely 100 percent. always say that absolutely can you help me with this job vacancy i don't know
1: you know I, I like the idea of creating a little game at the start almost like a, a where's almost like a little where's wally all the way through the presentation where they've got to hang in there for interest to know what the answer's going to be come the end mm-hmm. all that that's great are you going to do any of this then If I had to do a really big pitch tomorrow, if you said, right, Johnny, tomorrow you've got to go to London and you've got to pitch to this client for a big fat F off deal that's worth next year's revenues to us. Yeah, I would definitely. I'd reread this book. I'd reread the book and I'd design my presentation around that.
0: Well, that, that tells you everything you need to know about what you think about the book then, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It does actually, it tells you that you like the book, you know, if you're willing to change what you do on... Of having read the book, you obviously like the book, which is fair
1: enough. I, I don't think it'd be so much change what I do. It would be more, I would use some of it in the framework of my presentation. It would definitely get a look in. You know, you and I don't have to do that kind of pitch, do we? No, no. No, no, we're not doing that kind of thing. Very seldom, very seldom. But if I had to go and do a big, enormous pitch tomorrow where you were like, Johnny, listen, the next year's riding on it, mate. I definitely would get, I would definitely get this out. I would definitely sit overnight and think, right, where's my notes from that on cloth book? Right. I'll see the framework for my presentation. Now that's how I'm going to do it. Fair enough. Because I'm not, I'm not sure, I'm not sure of the courage to try that sort of thing. I'm very, I'm very comfortable with it. Listen, I'm just not sure you guys are right for us, right? I'm really all right with that. Well, I'm right with it if it's the truth. Yeah. Oh, I'm right with it if it's manipulative. Uh, I'm more bothered if it's the truth personally.
0: Yeah. Uh it's very interesting that. I I, I like the fact that he says tension comes from conflict. I do agree with that, you know, yeah. the challenger sales certainly certainly espouses that really. Then he's also talking about this uh, this push and pull thing. What what I have found over the years is a change in cadence is very powerful with clients. Go on. In terms well, I just think, you know, with like so I've got a client I'm taking a brief out of them tomorrow at twelve fifteen. They're an automation company, and what's interesting is, so I've been canvassing this guy for ages, really getting stuck into it. The more he's been biting, I hope he's listening to the show, by the way. Uh, the more he's been biting, the 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 slower I've been on the reply, and I can just sense this. Hang on a minute, you've been absolutely bloody on over me and now. You know, where have you gone? Where have you gone? Well, now maybe it's push and Paul, but it's a really it's a cadence thing. I think he's picked up on that change of cadence and wants to keep it in the same way. And I think the whole push and pull thing is good, isn't it? You know, you get them biting a little bit, and then you pull away a little bit, and then they're nibbling a bit harder. And before they know it, they're the fish, who's on the end of the line, desperately grabbing
1: hold of the baguette to be dropped into the net. Yeah, I've done it with the prospect today. Exactly that. I thought, Do you know, I'll chase up on that lead today. And then I thought, nah, don't think I will. I think I'll go cool on you now. Mm. I know you're a big fan of the uh, Jordan Belfort, Pendulum. Love that. Literally, that's one of the best things I've ever read in a book. That, and that's very Pendulum-y, is isn't it? Just get some movement. Just take it away. Where, where, where you want them sat there going, why is this guy not chasing me?
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I think it's a very powerful
1: thing to do. I, I do think that ability to take your foot on and off the accelerator pedal, which makes you unpredictable as the salesperson, You know, there's a natural cadence that customers expect, isn't there? I have a meeting, you send proposal, you send proposal, you chase up and follow up. You continue to apply pressure. You supplicate, the the word he uses in the book, Oran Claff, is you you, you supplicate yourself to whim in your attempt to win the business. Whereas I have a meeting, you have a meeting. Actually, I'll follow up tomorrow, not today. And some people say, well, that's, that's terrible. It's going to look like you're not attentive to the client. Maybe it looks like. But well, yeah, you're just not the only client I'm working with, mate. No, yeah, I completely agree. You're not the only girl at my disco.
0: It's, inter- it's very interesting using cal- Calendly, actually. When you send the client your diary, and your diary's full, I wonder what the clients think. Yeah. They think, oh, his diary's really full.
1: Yeah. Orin Clafford would say, set Calendly up, so you've only got one 15-minute slot per day. Of course, would you?
0: That's exactly what he'd say.
1: That's what Oren Claff would say.
0: You're a nightclub full of people,
1: aren't you? Yeah. Oren Claff would say, do not let the customer think they can get your time anytime, anywhere, any place. It's a little bit like the candidates that ring you at somebody a, cl- a candidate tried to ring me at about quarter to seven on Friday night. Absolutely no chance I'm gonna answer that. Sat in the back garden with the missus drinking a beer and having a chat. And then a guy's ringing me at quarter to seven on a Friday night and I just laughed. He went answer the phone, I went absolutely not. I agree, yeah. Categorically not. But that's about that. Or Clough would say that's about the power frame. You know, the moment you take that call, you're supplicating yourself. Oh, hi, I really need you. Now, there are
0: some candidates, actually, who I know that they really need me to take that call. And for some of them, I will take the call,
1: actually. Oh, yeah. If, if, if I'm sorting out your job offer on a Friday night, I'll pick the phone up. But if you're some guy I've never spoke to in my life who's managed to find my mobile on LinkedIn and wants to call me about some job, sorry, no, I'm not taking your call. What do you think of this whole
0: uh, chapter 5 of one now, where he's talking about frame stacking and hot cognitions? Personally, I think he's just getting a bit carried away with himself.
1: Moral authority frame.
0: Yeah, I just thought, this, this is all just getting a bit carried away. It's a bit too technical for me. There's never in a million years I'm going to do that. I'm just not, not going to do that. And I'm
1: starting to get a bit bored really now. Yeah, it, it's like I said, it, it's a bit pseudo. Well, it's pseudo-psychology and it just no, I just thought, yeah, it's all getting a bit silly this now.
0: Yeah, I thought it'd taken a bit too far.
1: Yeah, and I get his point. I get his point about bypassing the critical brain and going into the croc brain, taking it away, working with those parts. But that's his map of the world, and there are other maps of the world.
0: Completely agree. I mean, I actually put on page 140. I think this is good, but I'm getting bored of it now.
1: Yeah, I was getting bored too. That's actually what I wrote. And it's a shame... This is a, this is again one of those books that could have been boiled down to a forty-page PDF ebook. Well, I, I, what, what he
0: actually should have done, I don't know if there's any supporting literature. It would have been brilliant if uh, if he just created a big PowerPoint. <laughs> yeah. But you know what I mean? He just created a big PowerPoint and said, right, for this one do that, for this slide do that, for this slide do that, for this slide do that. He'd have had a really good model then, actually, I think. But instead, you've got to read the book and put all the frames and hot cognition and blah de blah blah i will now look at this page, the prize frame, and so on and so on and so forth.
1: It's little things like, you know, getting into that mindset of, I don't need these people, they need me, I am the prize. And he was talking about a presentation where none of them bothered to say hello. Mm. Now, you and I are into that, that sort of not doing small talk thing. So I think you're a little bit unfair on the guy because you naturally have a power frame you said this before, quite possibly. Because, for example, you... I, I know you just do not care what people think about you, which is an incredibly powerful personal trait. You're very fortunate. So, because you don't give a shit, you're not needy. And because you're not needy, you'll quite happily walk into a meeting where somebody doesn't say hello to you and you just won't say hello back. I'm, I'm good at that. And that's not, you ga- that's not you being gamey. That's just... Actually, that's you being very, very authentic. All All right, though. Well, okay, fine. I will either. And so... And what we both know is a lot of salespeople will be very nervous in that situation. Holy shit. They can not even say hello. None of them even looked up from their notepads. <laughs> no, it's funny, isn't it? And, it? and I know that will crush a lot of salespeople. I don't think it'll crush the good ones. I think it'll crush a lot of good ones.
0: Well, I'm not convinced it will, actually. I've found the better ones have good self-comfort in themselves. But that's sort of a problem with the power frame thing.
1: The really good ones are clever enough to walk in and go, ha, ha, right, no one's saying hello. Right, okay. Let's see what we'll do with you boys. I think the really good ones,
0: you just, you know, we had so we had Tim Wood on the book club, didn't we? Yeah. Ages ago, whenever it was. You know, Tim's obviously got a great career, really good guy. I don't think he tries to play a power frame on anybody. I think he just sits there going, yeah, fine, we're good. No, but Tim would clock it.
1: If Tim walked into a meeting where nobody said hello when he arrived... Tim would chuckle to himself and think, right, okay, fine. That's how this is going to be today, is it? He wouldn't panic and he wouldn't throw in one bit.
0: Probably. I mean, it's a, it's a nice segue to the next chapter, actually. I don't know how it presents on the Kindle. Although you've got to know, Jonathan, I'm reading our next book on Kindle. Uh, so we'll all
1: be, we'll be in sync uh, when we're doing this. Bryce, the way to do it is Kindle. And then there's an app called Readwise, which gives you a digest. Of
0: I'm just not going to buy a Kindle. I'm going to use Kindle on the iPad. Okay. I don't like all these different bits of technology.
1: No, I, I get your point. You want it all in one place. I, I read a lot. Often I'll read on my phone. I'll read a book on my phone on the Kindle app.
0: My daughter Honey, does that. She's got a Kindle, but she uses her phone on the Kindle app all the time.
1: Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like if we're out and about or if I'm sat at a bus stop or whatever and I'm, I want to read out: That's a bus stop. It's a while since I've sat at a bus stop, actually. can't remember the last time I got on a bus.
0: No, no. Uh, Pre-COVID for me. I haven't missed
1: it. Yeah, very pre-COVID.
0: Anyway, chapter six about is about eradicating neediness. And he says, showing signs of neediness is about the worst thing you can do to your pitch. Yeah, he's right. It's incredibly bad for... for uh, he's completely right. It erodes status, it freezes your hot cognition, it topples your frame stacks. If you would talk to investment bankers, the pros that make million-dollar decisions almost daily, they'll tell you validation-seeking behaviour, neediness, is the number one deal killer. Now, do you know what's really interesting, actually, is I think you can instantly tell where a candidate's at by how needy they are with you on the phone. Like, within five seconds, you can tell.
1: What do you reckon? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's buying signals. They, they, it, it's a simple thing, isn't it? Sometimes there are buying signals. How much is a client paying? What's the package? It's a buying signal, isn't it? It's a bi but also it's,
0: oh, hi, how are you, Michael? Thank you ever so much for sparing me some time. I know you're busy. Um, I've been looking on LinkedIn. I just think, right, I'm sure I'll place you.
1: Oh, God, yeah.
0: Because you've got to do that in an interview. I think to myself, I won't place you.
1: That's the word he, well, he, the word he uses in this book is supplicating.
0: I've never heard that word before. I must have read it in the book because I have actually read all the words. But
1: Great word, lovely word, supplicant. I love it. But that's exactly that—that that kind of behaviour, fawning, needy, fawning. That's the right word. Where you sense it sometimes in it, uh, and then the, the next thing you do is you just you go to the LinkedIn profile. Ah, oh, yeah, green sticker.
0: Yeah, it's well. I mean, that green sticker. Oh my God, what would Oren Claff say about the green sticker?
1: Oh, Oren Claff would just put his head in his hands about the green sticker.
0: Do you reckon? Do you reckon it would say destroy all the power frames?
1: Well, Oren Claff would be the candidate that tells you that he's not looking for a job, he doesn't need a new job, he's quite happy where he is. Oren Clafford would be like, yeah, look, what do you want? Oren Clafford would be like that if he'd been out of work for a year. Yes, that's what he'd say. If he'd been out of work for two years and he was eating netto-baked beans and you rang him to talk to him about a job, he'd go, yeah, what do you want? I've only got two minutes. <laughs> yeah, That's what he'd say. That's what he'd say would be the approach. And you, to be fair, as a recruit, would be like, Shit, right, okay, what's going on here?
0: Yeah, I'd buy into it. But you, see, but you see, that's where the power frame thing falls down, because I say, oh, you've only got two minutes, right, no problem. My number is on your phone, uh, give me a shout. Bye, bye. That's how that conversation would go with you and I.
1: Yes, Yes, because that's because he's been met with a power frame as powerful as his, and it would find him out. And that'd be you and him having this big power frame pissing contest. And that's the danger with playing that game, is... There are, lots of alphas, uh, there are lots of alpha females and males out there who will immediately and sharply go, well, right, right, pissing contest, day. Well, I can piss higher and up further than you. Um, uh,
0: and both Oren and I lose, though, because Oren's been out of work for two years. Lose, lose. Chris
1: Voss would say, nah. Uh, you think Chris Voss would be unhappy with that? Chris Voss would just say, well, I don't know, it'd be interesting. I mean, we're, cro- we're crossing our books here now, but what would Chris Voss say? Right, listen, Mr. Listen, listen, Mr. Terrorist. Uh, here's where we're at, Mr. Terrorist. We've only got two minutes. Well, I'll tell you what, then I'll kill all the hostages.
0: Yeah, well, Chris Boss, if Chris Boss was the recruiter, so, so we'll do this. So I'll be Chris Voss, you be Aaron Clough. I, I, I'm ready <laughs> I mean, it's an unlikely world, isn't it, this? But and let's say it is. So I'm Chris Voss. Hold on, is that Aaron?
1: <laughs> I'm not doing it.
0: I, I, I'm re- Cause yeah, a- the point of being is, Chris Boss would say,
1: don't take two minutes off him. Squeeze him out of Thor, then you've won. Well, I'll tell you what would be funny is I think this is going to make a good social media post. Is like a little fight off. Chris Voss versus Orin Clough. You know, like Eddie, Eddie Hall's fighting Thor half Bjornsson, or whatever his name is. I've seen him trading on YouTube, Eddie Hall. I say, what? Well, you can't,
0: can't knock the guy, can you?
1: He's in good nick, is Eddie, considering he was nearly dying because of he was so fat when he finished his strongman competitor career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's fighting the mountain. I know, yeah. I know, yeah. I know. In 12 weeks' time, right? But what we could do is we could hype it up, like a, a little sell-off between Chris Voss and uh, Oren Claff. I, I, I
0: think Chris Voss would win. Oh, really? Would you, would you pick Oren Claff? I think Clafford would win. I think Chris Voss would win. I really don't rate the power frame thing.
1: Listen, Mr. Terrace, listen, I'm really bit... Listen, I, 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 I understand you've got a few hostages there, but if I'm honest, I'm pretty busy. I've got a couple of other hostage situations I've got to deal with, and I can only deal with one right now. All right. Well, I'll kill all the hostages then.
0: Yeah, but again, back to the books. So people, so so we're not just having an in joke about (laughs) it. That's the point. uh, That's sort of the point about the power frame thing. I just think he just
1: overrates it a bit too much. It's just, or does he feel like he does? I think the problem is you could very easily end up in a big weeing contest with people. Yeah, I really do. You know, like my mate Jason, who's a VC. He is a VC. he, He is an extremely wealthy investor that's all he does he listens to pitches all day mm. i think if you played that with him he'd look at you and he'd just go are oh, you busy are you right
0: okay Offski, but Aaron clough would say he's pitched loads of jasons
1: though wouldn't he he'd say he's pitched loads of J- he'd say he's pitched loads of guys who are a thousand times richer than jason
0: yeah he would yeah and he says his works and that's sort of where um...
1: but i think you are in danger of Getting involved with some people who are just going to go, whoa, whoa, whoa. All right, try to take this away from me. I see what, exactly where you're going. You're in danger of meeting somebody who's as smart as you.
0: Or as brave as you, or gives about, or gives as much of a, a, an F as you do. Correct. Or as aggressive,
1: or, or somebody who's as aggressive or more aggressive, or who will not lose. Who will look at that as a personal affront. Or just
0: has got great congruence in turning something down. He's going, yeah, fine,
1: whatever. Correct. And I think there is a, what he misses here, and it's interesting, it's a long old story, but I've been reading quite a few books by a lady called Brené Brown, who I first hated, I hated Brené Brown when I first started reading books. And actually now I've got quite into it. She talks a lot about personal authenticity. And I think actually personal authenticity, warmth and humanity still
0: beats this. Well I've never heard anything about it but I do tend from from what little I know about what authenticity is I agree completely I think this is just brinksmanship
1: it's brinksmanship and the issue I wrote I wrote later in my notes is this sort of whole framing power framing da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, opposing power framing watching the frame collisions yada 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 my issue with it is if it's not your natural game, if it's not your natural personality, if, for example, you know, like I've mentioned it before, I've done that Jordan Peterson in, uh, understand myself psychometric test where it says I'm like in the top two percentile of disagreeable people. Brilliant. Great for me. I'm disagreeable, fucker. Well, that's an interesting, isn't it? Because we
0: know each other fairly well. Yep. You're very disagreeable. I'm not disagreeable. You are. very rarely argue with anybody. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. I don't argue, but I just walk away quickly.
1: Which in and of itself is disagreeability.
0: That's what I mean.
1: Yeah. So I'm cool with that. I'm quite cool with all that. But I think what he's missing is it's not a one-size-fits-all solution to doing a great pitch. Because most of the people out there are not as disagreeable as you or I. They're not as assertive or as aggressive as you or I. And I think if you're doing that and that's not your default setting, then that's very unauthentic. And if it's inauthentic, it's no different to being a supplicative, fawning, pathetic salesperson. There's no difference. Actually, all you're doing is you're just prostituting yourself in a way that's not natural to you, and that is not sustainable for a salesperson. The good salespeople are authentic, and that authenticity is therefore sustainable. I agree. So, if you're if you're a salesperson whose game is based on human warmth, love, passion for your job, enthusiasm for the company, genuine desire and care to deliver well for a customer, and that gets you through the night, that's shitloads more powerful than walking into a meeting thinking, "Oh, crikey, the client's just put a power frame on me. He's eating a sandwich." I agree completely. Stick with it. Because actually, you've got to do it for 25, 30 years. Being inauthentic for 30 years, that's just going to burn you out. That's going to kill... That just No. No. Johnny says no to being inauthentic for 30 years. No way. I agree
0: with you. Michael, I completely agree with you. Uh, we're, we're quite close really now. The the, the the last bit of the book, actually, is the airport deal. So are we going to do the airport deal as a, as a separate...
1: No. Fine. Have you read it all? No. Honestly... I got to a point. I sort of read the first couple of pages, and I was like, "Oh, I see what you're doing. You're giving me. You're using all your bits as examples via this airport deal that you did." Well,
0: it was obviously going to. I mean, and let's be let's be clear. As long as what he's told is the truth. He's obviously a top guy, isn't he, clearly?
1: Yeah, fair play to him, and he's authentic doing it. Mm, mm. But I think it could be really painful for some people to be that inauthentic. That's very uncomfortable for a a lot of people. You know, if you did a disc profile of every, that's a dominant influencer thing to do on the disc profile, isn't it? Very much so, yeah. Direct, DI, dominant influencer. Great, brilliant. But not every really good salesperson is a dominant influencer. There's some bloody good ones who are on the other side of the spectrum. There are some excellent ones. Not all of them, but some of them.
0: Yeah, I mean... And also, when you look at what's happening with the in the SaaS software market, with telesales, BDrs, sales execs, you know, free trials, none of that lends itself to this, anyway.
1: No, I, I'd be interested to know how many deals are won, lost, and/or sold with big pitches. Now, I don't know many salespeople whose deals sort of end up riding on a big pitch anymore.
0: Yeah, this does feel a bit old, nineteen
1: eighties, doesn't it? Big pitch. I don't think that's how significant pieces of business are won and lost anymore. I agree completely. Yeah. So m- let's do some marks out of 10. I mean, he does. He, to, uh, the final point is he does at the back end of the book talk about progressive methods and steps to learning his method. And he does say, listen, you can't do this overnight. You know, don't get yourself fired taking it on board. But overall, yeah, I, I think it would suit a small subsection of the audience who are comfortable with it. And I think it is good. For me, overall, here's my thoughts. Marks out of 10, I'm going to give it a six and a half. It doesn't get any more because I do fear for people being inauthentic with it. And it's not like you're learning to ask open, close questions or other skills. It's about assertion, power, that they're big things. In human interactions and relationships and playing with that isn't right for everyone. So it only gets six and a half. I'm
0: going to give it a five. Five? I know it sounds very simplistic to say this, but when I picked up this book, I thought, well, I'll tell you what, uh, there's got to be a section on how to build a good PowerPoint. Yeah. You know, you're talking about pitching. Well, talk to me about pitching for a start. Where do you sit people in the room? How do you make the PowerPoint look good? Do you take handouts or not? I know it's all very basic stuff, but I think, you know, how to pitch anything. He actually hasn't really covered... He's covered all the psychology of how you try and control people, yeah. but at no point has he actually covered the pitch. At no point has he said, you don't have to use PowerPoint, you can use beautiful.ai, or you can do this, or have you thought about putting video?
1: It could have been more of a manual, couldn't
0: it? it could have been more of a manual, on how to put together a PowerPoint presentation. Yeah, You know, that, that is how nine-tenths of people are going to pitch. So I think it missed that. Uh, the power frame thing, I do agree with you, but uh, in terms of it doesn't suit everybody, I just thought totally he got a bit carried away with himself, really. Yeah. To, if I'm perfectly honest. And I, and, I, and I found myself getting a bit bored of it. And actually, I think it's very
1: old-fashioned. It's going to sound really cynical, but if you're that good at pitching multi-billion dollar deals for which you earn $2 million a commission every time, what kind of gambling habit have you got that means that you still need to produce a book and then go out doing the consulting circuit?
0: Yeah, completely agree. It's interesting. I played golf with a guy recently who, um, some through commercial property, and there was him and there was one of my other mates who was playing as well. This guy, this this, this mega heavyweight guy, went off. And uh, my other mate, Dan, that was playing with, he said, I know him, you know. I said, Are you? And he goes, He sold this deal, blah, blah, blah. And I reckon he earned X many millions of pounds. And I said, All right, phone so unassuming and then later on down the golf I said this guy I said what you do with your time he said i'm oh, nothing i still have loads of money i don't do anything i play golf He did not look like he played golf um with his golf suit but getting back to the book but i also think that there's this this you know there's just too much stuff missing from it i wanted a section on elevator pitch how to create a good elevator pitch he kind of covers that not really It doesn't really. Actually, it's like a theoretical brain dumping of power frames and stuff. On the plus side, it is quite interesting. And it did make me think a little bit about the people that I talked to. I did think, with some of them, I thought, what's going on here? Now, I've always thought what's going on here, but he gives, pardon the pun, but he gives you a frame of thinking about what's going on here. Not that I necessarily agree with it. Uh, w- would I read this? Would I recommend this book? No. There's lots of other books I'd read before it.
1: I'd recommend it sparingly. I'd recommend it to somebody I thought who could handle it, but I wouldn't recommend it to the lady I was working with this afternoon who I'm sending to an account management job who is all about interpersonal loveliness.
0: I know what you mean. She's not good.
1: I wouldn't recommend it to her.
0: Exactly. She'd read this and she'd be
1: hiding under a bed.
0: Would you recommend it to the fellow who play golf with on Saturday? I suspect probably so.
1: And he'd get it. He'd
0: go, yeah, right, fine. Exactly. So next book, Johnny, what's, what's our next book that we're doing? You sent me a link. Uh, I hadn't purchased it yet,
1: but... Oh, it's the Tony Hughes book. What's it called? Let's have a look, Michael. It's called Tech Powered Sales Achieve Superhuman Sales Skills. And the the little blurb says, in tough markets and with more and more people working remotely, creating quality sales pipeline in traditional ways is more difficult than ever. As sales technologies continue to evolve and advance, developing technical quotient is an essential element of sales success. In tech-powered sales, two record-setting experts on sales and a best-selling author on sales leadership combine to provide practical guidance on how professional sellers can maximize results with an effective sales tech stack to power up sales effectiveness for outstanding results. In these pages, sales superstars Justin Michael and Tony Hughes reveal the strategies and techniques that enable you to break through with difficult to reach buyers, teach you how to lift your TQ with insight into how sales technologies can be employed for maximum benefit, enable you to make the jump from being a laggard to super user within your sales team, and show you how to thrive in the fourth industrial revolution. Well, I've got to say, I'm excited about this one because Combo Prospecting is one of my all-time books.
0: I recommend Combo Prospecting. I thought Tony Hughes was an excellent guy and I thought that was an excellent book.
1: Yeah. Tony Hughes is a great guy. I thought Combo Prospecting was a great book. It's one of the books that's had the most influence on me since we've done Book Club. And so I'm assuming this is going to be just as good. And I think Tony will be coming on the, I'm pretty sure Tony's coming on the show. Yeah, we communicated a while ago about the book coming out and I'd mentioned come back on the show and he said, yeah, definitely. So I'll sort it out at some point between now and when these air so that we've got a a final wrap-up show with Tony. Cool. And at that, we bid you goodbye. Thank you very much.